0: and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifesideNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren. Today we're having a return guest, Brandon Showalter, who is a senior investigative reporter at the Christian Post. We've had him on before uh, to talk about what's going on with the transgender scandal in the United States. Some of you may be familiar with his work. If you're not and you're interested in finding out what's going on with this issue, you should be. He is a journalist and podcaster with the Christian Post, who has reported extensively. On topics of interest such as bioethics, euthanasia, assisted suicide, artificial reproductive technology, and surrogacy, and then, of course, uh, most famously, the developments of gender identity. And just to give you a bit of background on his education, to refresh your memory there, he earned a bachelor's degree in international studies in Spanish from Bridgewater College of Virginia in 2007, a Master of Arts in Human Rights from the Catholic University of America in 2022, and is a fellow of the John Jay Institute for Faith, Society, and Law uh brandon's work on this issue has just been tremendous and so i wanted to have him on to talk about some of his recent reporting as well as to give his analysis of where we are so brandon just to start off i want to talk about your story uh from july 17 inside a father's fight to save his son in trans sanctuary state of california can you give us a bit of the background on this story
1: I had uh, seen Abigail Schreier's horrifying profile of this father in City Journal, the Manhattan Institute's publication in February of last year, and it it was one of the most jaw dropping pieces of investigative journalism that I'd ever read, Jonathan. Um, I had gotten to know the father a little bit um, just through interacting with a number of parents, but I knew that uh, that. That article really was going to expose a lot and we saw how i think the word abigail used and i agree with her is kafka-esque because of how the state apparatus conspired to do him in they severed his parental custody they put the blocker in his teenage son who is currently gender distressed and they put it in his arm that teenage son was also on a course of cross-sex hormones it was just a stunning look at how the state and the, the family courts specifically uh, put, put parents in a straitjacket who object to quote unquote gender affirming care. Well, uh, he came to me and he said, there are actually more layers of uh, malfeasance to be exposed here. Would you consider doing a, an even further investigation and showing what I've since learned? And the minor's counsel that was appointed by this radical uh, family court judge, I believe, who's got a trans-identified kid of her own and could just completely undermine this dad. Well, the minor's counsel was really what kind of sealed the deal. And he is now shown in correspondence documents with the State Bar of California to be identifying 17 times as Ms. So now something's going on where this minor's counsel who Uh, Up until now, we had no idea that he was going by this, some sort of trans identity, and maybe he's playing some kind of sick joke. We don't know, Uh, but that is just, uh, that's shown that he is now, there's this other layer of what appears to be a conflict of interest. Additionally, Jonathan, there was this, um, I examined, I reviewed documents where uh, they put (laughs) the the surgery that was done to insert this histrelin acetate subcutaneous implant in this boy's arm which requires a surgical procedure that was the, that was an explicit violation of a follow-up court order which forbade uh, any sort of gender identity related surgery but they went ahead and did it because the gender borg the gender ideologues, together the state apparatus the medical system they just run roughshod no matter what you know the law or the follow-up court orders actually say they rule the day, and nothing is going to stand in their way. These are not scrupulous people. These are not rule followers, uh, and so my piece sort of documents the layers upon layers of deception with regard to this surgery that was done on his son, on Ted Hudako's son, and uh, on then how it how it wound up through that this miners' council is deceiving them again. I talked to a family. Yeah, it's 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 just a it's kind of a legally complex story, but it just shows that. There are so many layers, Jonathan. There are so many layers.
0: Let's back up a little bit, because we jumped into the legal stuff pretty quick. For the listeners who haven't read the story or Abigail Shrier's story, both of which I think sure. are, are must reads on this, what are the broad contours of the story? You've got a dad who's fighting to keep his son from being transitioned, and the state mm-hmm. is intervening on behalf of the mother. Was 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 that was that right?
1: Yeah, it profiles Ted Hudako. He's a Bay Area dad who works in tech. Um, and he, uh, it, at every single turn, he was the one who expressed doubt about transing uh, his son, and it because of his doubts about the medicalization, it was as as though immediately the state entities, the family courts, all of the all of the <laughs> the places of authority in the state were dead set against him, and uh, it, it's it's just it's just mind blowing because of of the insane grip that this ideology now has on believers of power in that state. And so, yes, the mother who favored the transing of the son was allowed to go ahead and go through with this. And every objection he raised, it was just twisted. There was a reversal. I mean, he was even asked, Abigail's piece begins with this, where the judge, Joni Hiromoto asks him, if your son, if your 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 child identified as the Queen of England. Would you love him, or something? It was something just so unbelievably crazy, and he's 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 forced to try and think of it like, well, of course I would love my kid, but objectively he's never going to be the Queen of England, and so even a therapist would would know that. Object, I'd try to get him some help. It, it, it's just absolutely, it's just crazy. Uh, but yes, the state at every turn. Rapidly enforces gender ideology and undermines parents who object to it. And his is a case study, essentially, of what happens when you dare to face this, this beast. Um, and it's especially pertinent because California has continued to pass laws. It, it, they're, they're not stopping. Last September, Gavin Newsom, the governor, signed into Law Senate Bill 107, which effectively made, as the title of my recent article indicates, it's turned California into a sanctuary state for trans, a trans sanctuary state, where if someone would come from another state like, oh, I don't know, Arkansas, where they put a restriction on blockers, hormones, and surgeries... California has basically said, we'll welcome you with open arms and give you a home court advantage. And if there's a family court dispute, the Arkansas courts aren't gonna apply. California will now be your home jurisdiction. They have amended their their policies in that realm of the law. So that's what's been created. And right now they're actually current, uh, considering another piece of legislation, AB 957, which is would amend the parts, portions of the law about child welfare, where if a parent disagrees with their child's new so-called gender identity, they could very likely be brought up on charges of child abuse because that would be considered necessary for the child's health and welfare. So they're not stopping with this and it's get, getting even worse. But for parents who object to gender identity dogma, uh, it's like a nightmarish legal straitjacket. They have nowhere to turn. The law is not on their side and the law is going to make an example of parents uh, the, the, the people who are in charge, they're going to put parents through a meat grinder as they have done with Ted Hidako.
0: So there's a few threads I want to pull at here uh, to help the listeners understand it and to get a better grasp of, of a few aspects of this myself. Because if I'm not mistaken, the most high profile cases we've seen that are similar to the one um, that you just covered and are continuing to cover, which essentially has um, one parent almost always the father who opposes gender transition. The other parent, almost always the mother supports gender transition. And this ends up going to court and the court sides with the mother over the father. This has also been the case with, with, you know, the horrifying Texas Jeff younger case where the mother supported transition. He didn't, he lost, um, despite some initial wins, he ended up losing. Now, if you see him on Twitter, right, he basically says men shouldn't get married because you can't count on, um, the courts to, uh, to to back you like he's become really um cynical and devastated and it's really hard to fault him considering the fact that he is trapped in this dystopian nightmare same thing is true for uh, my friend uh, rob hoogland in in british columbia canada uh, right who lost the battle to stop his ex-wife from transitioning his daughter uh, and the court threatened to lock him up for referring to um, his daughter as his daughter rather than as his son So when you, with the cases that you're looking at, and I know that you're aware of many cases you can't report on as well. There's always lots of cases Mm -hmm. that you become familiar with on background. I know a lot of cases I can't talk about publicly. Um, would you say that, that in general, it's very frequently A, a, a couple that's split up. It's a mom and a dad who are either divorced or in the process of getting divorced. And that it usually seems to be the mother who's siding with transition.
1: Well, I've lost count, Jonathan, how many cases I've come across in my seven years, approximately, of doing this kind of journalistic work. Um, it is a typical scenario where you there's a messy divorce, and the mother is either pushing the transition or, or agreeing with it, and the father is opposed. Uh, but every once in a while, I'll get the reverse too. Uh, I just the other day, in fact, I was messaging with a woman who it was her husband who objected to, who who was. You know, pushing the transition of the daughter and the mother was objecting, and he was doing it despite his, and they, there was a divorce there too. Um, but I also talked to married couples who are very much on the same page, opposed to it, and their kids, you know, managed to get Planned Parenthood testosterone or estrogen within 30 minutes of a telehealth call, and the, their parents are on the same page, and it's. <sighs> You, you, there's, there, there could probably be a thousand different case studies. <laughs> they would all have their own sort of unique horrors, but there would be some similar threads connecting them. And one devastating thread is that this does rupture uh, families. This does splinter relationships. Um, but the dynamic is—I um, mean, there are. It does seem to be uncanny how many times it is moms pushing the trans identity on a on a young child, often a boy, um, and the dads are are fighting back against it. And if it does wind up in the family courts, the dads don't have a prayer. Um, Perhaps one unique situation, and this is the only one that I've ever heard, is um, maybe we can talk a little bit about this, but in the case of a boy named Jonas in the film Dead Name, which you wrote such a great review of in The Bridgehead several months ago, uh, she, the, the mom who was opposed, it was a lesbian couple actually, the mom who was opposed to transing actually came out favorably in the family court she didn't get full custody but she got legal custody she got most most of the decision-making power was given was was awarded to her that is i've never heard that before
0: was she the biological mother in that instance because that wasn't clear in the film
1: uh you know i i don't know indeed it wasn't clear um but that it's possible that was i maybe it was adopted maybe it's biological i don't know but but the point but but the point is the point is The parent that was not in favor of transing managed to win in family court, and I had never heard that before. That's remarkable.
0: So before we move to dead name, one of the things that I want to, to, to talk about briefly is the practicality uh, for people who are living uh, in states like you know, California is just one of them. There's a couple of so-called transgender sanctuary states at this point. Um, yeah. And when you're looking at the situation that you describe in your article, but then I also look at you know Jeff Younger, I look at uh, other parents and this sort of nightmare scenario that they're trapped in is something that would truly just com- destroy your mental health because can can there be anything more helpless than watching you know your child get poisoned with you know puberty blockers or sex or cross-sex hormones and 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 be signed up for sex change surgeries and as a parent you there's nothing you can do it and the full force of the state is preventing you from doing anything to stop this from happening right this is a, this is like nightmare is a is a literal i actually you know i've never I, I don't know if anybody's ever had a nightmare that bad when you consider what it is that they do um, in these scenarios. And so increasingly it, it seems that, um, if you are a parent that California is probably not a good state for you to live. And, and, and secondarily, one of the things I, I kind of wanted to point out, like I know that uprooting and leaving a state that you may have lived in your whole life, um, is, is kind of appalling for a lot of people to think of for very understandable reasons. At the same time, if you're sending your kids to public school, especially, If you're handing your kids over to probably ideologically radicalized strangers for, you know, 40 hours a week, um, this seems to me to be incredibly risky. What would your take be after having um, not just, uh, you know, researched this, but covered these stories for seven years?
1: Well, schools are certainly not helping to put it very, very mildly. Um, And they are worse in states where this is embedded in the law more fully. But I think. But people might be surprised to hear uh, uh, this—that while there are areas of this country that are that have not completely gone crazy, this movement is everywhere. There's Wi-Fi, so even in very conservative Alabama and you know Mississippi. I mean, there's this is happening in very unlikely places where the surrounding culture would not be, you know, supportive of this kind of thing. The
0: the The embodied the embodied culture that is sort of like yeah.
1: yeah, especially culture where there's still a strong presence of, you know, Christian churches who are Bible believing. I mean, that's that seems to be the bulwark uh, against this, at least the United States. And um, it's, I think there are some churches that are responding uh, better than others, but uh, that's another question for another day. Um, no, it's uh, pulling your kids out of public school, I know some people who are just absolutely insistent that people do that because of how radicalized and ideological the teachers and the administrators are in those schools. And I I am not one who, I mean, well, I certainly think that's probably a good idea, especially in some districts where I think Seattle are actually gender transing procedures in the school now. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's like there's a there's a partnership with the local gender clinic and it's explicit. And so there's like, of course, get your kids out of that. But um you have to make those determinations as as a family and what's what's best for your family but i think it is becoming increasingly difficult to to support any of it because of just how it starts and especially if there's a gsa club a gender and sexuality alliance club i i don't know how many times i've heard where that's sort of the breeding ground for where confused teenagers sort of reinforced their own distress and confusion and that was the launch point from where they got started down this medicalized pathway of, of hormones and then maybe a surgery, they it started there at the schools. It's in the classroom too, but those clubs are, are really bad news, uh, aided abetted by activist teachers. Uh, so it's yeah, I mean it's. But I, I think outside of the schools though, if I mean I tell parents get your kids off tech, do not give them phones or severely limit it. Um, do like have have apps that controls over it where they're not able to just spend hours online on these websites where trans activists congregate, you know run, you know Reddit, Tumblr, YouTube, chat rooms on like those places are so dangerous. Um, and that's where a lot of the confusion is really uh, it's incul- they're inculcated with that kind of confusion that they would otherwise just never have. Get outside and touch grass. I mean, this is just so. It's, uh, this online culture is really wreaking havoc on so many young people.
0: So um, when we talked eight months ago, the sort of the, the political battles were were raging right across the U.S. There's been plenty of developments that have been both positive and negative over the past year. And and what's been interesting is is you're kind of seeing two Americas emerge because ideology is often hardening along state lines. And in some ways, that makes perfect sense. And in other ways, it's been it's been kind of jarring to see just how different the law can be in in different places. Um, And that these laws are based on fundamentally different understandings of what it means to be a human person like these really are not the same country uh in in many many ways right uh you know like a a state like california is not operating from the same worldview um as a state that's banning sex change surgeries for kids and i can't believe i have to say that sentence um so maybe give us a sort of a snapshot of where we're at right now in the summer of 2023 because again there's been positive news there's been negative news you've just described the fact that california despite how radical their laws are now has not even stopped and they're planning to get more radical they're usually the tip of the spear on this stuff when it comes to uh, to progressive activism, I remind people that um, when 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 same sex marriage was still illegal in mm-hmm. California, the governor who decided to um, perpetrate civil disobedience by marrying gay couples, anyways, was the San Francisco mayor Gavin Newsom, who's now the governor. Um, so, give us a snapshot. Where are we, summer of twenty twenty three, on this debate? Well, I can tell you, Jonathan, that
1: this has it's it's a night and day difference in terms of. Um, how the discussion of these issues has arisen, um, I just the awareness has increased exponentially, uh, and I think, in large part, that is due to this, uh, you know, increase in states uh, putting forth legislation. Uh, I think at this time last year, we had maybe three or four states have laws on the books to, to forbid. The transing kids, and they all looked a little bit different, but a lot of them extended the statute of limitations so that detransitioners could have a right of action to sue the medical providers that harmed them. Uh, the idea being that it would be too financially cost prohibitive to do that. Um, but, in fact, are they, are they prohibited? Sometimes I think there's a state or two where either risk losing the doctor's license or that it's assigned criminal penalties. I'm, I'm pretty sure the SAFE Act was the first one that Arkansas did in. Uh, 2021, they were the first to get it done. I, I know people who thought that, and I say the Safe Act in Arkansas, that was their template, and a lot of states have sort of patterned um their their legislation after what Arkansas did, uh, with slight changes. Um, Florida's medical board reviewed it, and then they had a law that followed that. So they took a little different approach there. So state by state it has looked somewhat different, but I know people that thought that at the beginning of this year that it would be a good thing if four more states added laws to their books and got a piece of legislation through and signed by the governor or overrode the veto. And I think it's been 14 or 15 states. (laughs) I mean, far outpaced even their expectations. And I think it's because finally the journalists such as myself and others who have refused to be quiet about this have made enough noise that they are realizing that this is an epidemic. Everywhere I go, people are dealing with this in their families. Um, And so it's become an issue when you have big states like Texas, who has signed a bill now, and Florida. This is not just a patchwork of small, sparsely populated states. This is, I think it's like 19 or 20 of them. That's nearly half of the states. And so, yes, as you say, there may be a fractious culture war red state versus blue state kind of dynamic coming um, coming on the scene, and you know states like California and other progressive states are going in the opposite direction, uh, I think it's a good thing because it forces the issue into a national discussion, whereas previously trans activists were able to continue their long march through the institutions very stealthily. Now that it's been brought into the light uh, and there's legislation that's been passed, I think and I think some of it helps because it puts roadblocks in that kids are not going to be able to be harmed or they have to go maybe to a neighboring state or to California where they can get it more easily. Um, but and the other thing I'm concerned about, though, too, Jonathan, is that a lot of this uh, legislation restricts this you know, blockers, hormones, and surgeries for under 18, 18 and under. They, it's like you can't do this until you're a legal adult. Why I appreciate the impulse to protect minors, and I agree with that. I'll tell you, it's it's concerning to me too because a huge swath of young people who are going on this medicalized path are eighteen to twenty-four years old. They're college students, and I don't think this is ethical for them either. And so I, I wonder, you know, is the gender industry, as my friend Jennifer Billick likes to call it, is that going to are they going to have enough of a, of a market of young adults who are going on this kind of, quote unquote, treatment path where they're still making money, and they sort of did? Did they plan to, for the backlash to okay, we know that the people are not going to want this to be done to kids, but okay, we'll just we'll we'll, we'll compromise here. We'll still allow you to do it in an adult, and they'll still have. They'll still have a a market to sell these medical products to. This testosterone will will still be sold to gender distressed young girls in college. They just can't do it, you know, before they turn 18. I don't know. But um, just another example, too. A mother contacted me not so long ago where her daughter lives in a red state where they have enacted a ban on this kind of thing. Uh, But she is still able to get testosterone on the black market. This is so embedded in the culture now that even when the law is, you know, on the side of sanity and is not allowing this to happen for young people, this has permeated so many places. And so we're gonna be, I think, resisting this medical scandal in many areas of culture for a while before it's for the before the full reckoning happens. Um, But the best thing that I think that has happened, as now I think approximately 20 states have placed a ban of some sort on this medicalization, is that it has forced the national discussion. And because of that, more and more people are becoming aware. And they're realizing that this is so much more of a problem than they thought. And once they become aware of the horrors, as awareness increases, the side of sanity benefits, because For so long, trans activists have been able to operate in the dark and by stealth. And with a national discussion and with this many states doing it, that is increasingly impossible for them to do.
0: Now, what's interesting to me is that you see the the American progressives refusing to give even an inch on this. There's no consideration. Discussion is transphobia. while you see Finland, Sweden, the UK, France to a degree. You've got all of these, uh, in many cases, very progressive um, countries, especially the Scandinavian countries, which are kind of considered a model of sort of, you know, capitalist slash socialism, Are are not only taking a stance against these things, but actually banning things like the prescription of puberty blockers. um, The UK's National Health Service even prohibited social transitioning. Like they're taking like a really hard line against some of the stuff that you wouldn't, you you haven't even quite seen yet in some conservative states. And this puts uh, this puts like the the US is sort of an anomaly in terms of its inability to have a discussion in which progressives are led by medicine rather than by critical theory or gender ideology. And so I'm wondering uh, uh, two things. One, what is it about, is it just because this has turned into a partisan culture war that the Democrats can't budge on this? Has ideological capture been more effective because of the way American politics works? And uh, in the long haul, and by long haul, so much happens in such a short amount of time. I mean, like, let's take a look five years from now. Where do you think this, is, this debate is going to be in your estimation in five years?
1: Well, you're right about the political dynamics, at least among elected leaders. There have been some uh, elected Democrats at state level. Um, the most recent one was in Louisiana, where they banned the transing of children. And there were several Democrats in that state legislature that supported it, even overrode the Democratic governor's veto of the ban. There there have been some, a lot of them, some of them are Black, which is not surprising to me, these Black Democrats from the South, and they're... They're not on board uh, a lot of them are on board transing children sean sean theory in texas gave a very good speech um she was a black uh i think representative or senator from the houston area who was like no i'm not going to support this kind of thing so we are seeing some cracks in the democratic support and there are i talk with democratic parents all the time who a lot of them say they'll never vote democrat again because if their own kids get caught up in this they, their, their party leaders are so implacable in track they won't budge on this then it totally it totally causes a sort of a political crisis for the party that they've supported all their lives but in, in truth like a lot of Democrats have have been told that that oh this is just crazy right-wing media making this stuff but then when they actually dig in and find out that no um there's some honest liberals who are like wait a minute no I don't support this they they they, they see the medical journals where they actually are transing kids and they, they go down to the original source material and they find that, well, I may not be conservative, but they're telling the truth here. I don't support this. And, you know, I speak with them all the time, but, they're, but the elected leaders are, they are dug in, I think, because in their minds, they, and this is the way it has been marketed to them and presented, it's that they see it as a civil rights struggle because it's, hooked its wagon to the LGB uh, apparatus and you know I've, I've dug into some of the history of how the trans activists and the LGB groups obviously there's been a togetherness uh, for a while now but there's also some interesting history where there were some deals struck behind the scenes where that was sort of all part of okay now you got to support us we'll support you this kind of your political <laughs> you know collaboration and getting all of these these agenda items accomplished in the culture. And uh, after a Obergefell came through, it was just then right after the gay marriage ruling in 2015, they just stomped on the gas with transgenderism. Well, some of that was actually being prepared before uh, same-sex marriage became a, a legal thing in, in the United States. Uh, you are correct also that European countries, even very liberal ones, are backpedaling. Um, the Karolinska Hospital in Sweden in 2021, I believe, Place massive restrictions on this. They're not going to be giving blockers to to minors, except in very tightly guarded research, you know, circumstances. And frankly, I don't I, well, I'd I'd even want to take a deeper look at that. Cause like, why are you ever going to block a child's natural puberty? That's just for research or anything. But okay. The point is it's they're backpedaling. The so Chapistock Clinic in England is, you know, you mentioned with what's happening there. That's been ordered to close. Finland also backpedaling, France. Um, <laughs> the US and Canada, I would say, is an outlier. I attribute the the push here and in your country and in Canada uh, just to be to the sort of Western, um, well, in, in America, and I would maybe assume Canada too, the pharmaceutical industry, the medical industrial complex has tremendous power. <laughs> in our politics and in the culture. Good grief, we're just advertised to all the time with pharmaceutical products. Um, The interests are entrenched here. uh, And we are, our media celebrates this incessantly. And so there are so many interests that are just rapidly committed to the furtherance of this dogma that I think perhaps it is, they are just too uh, afraid to go back or to show any kind of hesitancy or scrutiny. And uh, I heard Helen Joyce, the author of the book Trans, when, when Reality Meets Ideology or something like that, say that she thinks that there are those, this would include parents of children that they have trans or facilitated the transing of, that for them to come to the realization that they actually participated in something really horrible, the abuse of their children, the sterilization of their children, that that is a realization that is just too painful to make and so they are going to have to just dig their heels in for the rest of their lives because to face the reality of what they did is just unfathomable and it's going to be like the Japanese soldiers in the Pacific Islands who were fighting World War II into the 60s because they didn't know the world was over. They just have to keep going with this and defend this kind of abusive medical practice to the death. But there are many factors Um, but at the moment yeah yeah European countries even very progressive liberal ones are backing away from this experimental law, experimental treatment protocol. Uh, but America and, and Canada are, are going full steam ahead. But I, again, I hope that with the, the state legislative action, 20 states now pushing back, that more and more discussion will be had and that there is a, a backlash uh, and a reckoning coming. Uh, what keeps me going, Jonathan, is that I believe, this is just, I draw on the resources resources of my faith, that I believe that God in his infinite wisdom is going to providentially bring an end to this somehow. I don't know the timing and I don't know the means but that's the kind of spiritual hope that I have and that's what propels me to keep doing the reporting that I'm doing and as more and more people see the harms, um, reality eventually wins. Uh, the truth has a way of prevailing but the question is how many young people have to be harmed in the meantime and unfortunately those numbers are growing.
0: Yeah, I know. It's interesting. I'm. It's interesting you bring up that Helen Joyce clip because I'm actually writing an essay uh, for a publication on the parents of transgender kids as a holdout because there's a couple of things that, that I've, I've noticed here. Um, like if you think of, of you know, the ex-wife of Jeff Younger, right? How, how could yeah. she ever admit? Uh, you know, that she destroyed her child's life, uh, you know, when, when, when she went to
1: Hudako's ex-wife. Yeah, exactly.
0: And and then, and additionally, what I find really interesting is that you very frequently know who the the parents of trans kids are, right? Celebrities like Charlize Theron and Jamie Lee Curtis, like they all talk about their trans kids. You never know who the the parents of detransitioners are. Um, there's a huge d- difference there, right? I don't know. Like, you know, you, you, you like, if, if there's a trans kid, you know who Jazz Jennings' parents are. You know, like, Charlene yeah. Theron's kid and Gabrielle yeah. Union's kid and all these kids, right? These, especially all the celebrities who now have trans kids, yeah. um, which are. There's a certain. There's a certain exhibitionism to it. 100%. It's like, what's, you know, that's yeah. sort of the, the, the like, uh, the, the sort of snarkiest side I heard, right? You know, it's just like a, a transgender three year old's like a vegan cat. You know who's making the yeah. decision in this scenario. And even right. in the. HBO documentary, Transhood, which I reviewed for for First Things. um, It's like the parents who are kind of like manhandling their kids in in front of the camera because I feel like even if you're a progressive parent, who believes in gender ideology thinks transgender child is a legitimate concept um you you would be if you were a sane common sense not narcissistic person keep your kids away from the camera this is a tremendous struggle um like even if i shared their their premises uh, you know you would never want to publicize this because you would recognize that this is 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 deeply painful deeply bewildering and confusing you know it's not just that some kids desist but like um if if i believe what they believe you have to believe that it looks different for every kid and and different paths um, are done there so if you look at just even which parents come come forward and which ones don't um yeah i think the parents of uh, of detransitioners don't want to be known they don't want to be known as the parents who either stood by facilitated or approved of the mutilization and sterilization of their kids um and yeah, this is all very horrifying to talk about, but that kind of brings me to something else that like, you've been in a couple of documentaries recently. I've noticed cause I've watched, so there's dead name, which I reviewed, um, trans nation. There's the detransition diaries, which I reviewed for first things as well. Um, none of these films have been mainstream yet. What's interesting is there's a sort of a cottage industry of dissident filmmakers and intellectuals who are creating yeah. these documentaries. None of them from what I can tell are from a socially conservative perspective. Um, so i reviewed dead name the filmmaker i don't know who the filmmaker is that filmmaker is not socially conservative correct no she's not and she's not a religious person mm-hmm. yeah
1: but i you you talk about the parents of detransitioners what is so powerful about dead name and you're right i was a, a featured contributor in it um is it does it does profile parents who who do object um, you, you, the other, the other parents, is you know the celebrity parents who have quote unquote trans kids. Uh, as as I said a moment ago, there it, there is a certain sort of public exhibitionist, almost narcissistic kind of give me attention because of how brave I am for helping trans my kid. Whereas uh, Taylor Reese, the filmmaker of Dead Name, uh, wanted to show the rest of the side the, these other parents who are suffering in silence and they they can't go anywhere for help in many places, because as in the case of Ted Hudako in California, the legal culture is dead set against him, but this is also in the schools and the medical facilities, in every area of culture where you could hope to get your child who's distressed some help. You are not only undermined, but marginalized. The institutions, apart from the law, but even sometimes in cooperation with the law, are actively working against parents who are just looking out for for the welfare of their kids, who don't wanna see their kids physically harmed. and so three parents are profiled in Helen, Amy, and Bill. They've all got different, you know, storify stories. All of them are horrifying and they're all, you know, terrible, but they've all got some connective threads that, that show that they face the same kind of really ugly dynamics as they dare to scrutinize this and push back against the medicalized transing of of their children. Um, I yes I, I was in Tucker Carlson's documentary film on Fox Nation Transgressive the Cult of Confusion that has some certainly socially conservative overtones but you're right I mean these are I mean these films I mean God bless these kind of indie filmmakers they're like the muckrakers of old you know they're getting the tr- they're getting the truth out there and it's they have to they work with small budgets and they it's a labor of love but they are filling, as I have often said in interviews that I've given about the dead name film, they are filling a very crucial truth telling void that's left by our corporate media, which is just, I think in some ways even more responsible than the medical doctors themselves because they are the phalanx around the, the medical providers who are doing this to children. I mean, they are the protectors of this industry that's putting children down the conveyor belt toward irreversible medical harm. They, it's, they're the ones that sort of keep the public mind in this uh, rigid, you know, category of thinking that gender-affirming care is solid evidence-based health care, when it's the exact opposite. They are the ones that have gaslit the public into believing that these euphemisms, like gender-affirming care, gender-affirming surgery, gender-affirming hormones, that these are all backed by all the mainstream medical organizations. Meanwhile, they are pushing a grotesque medical scandal and institutionalized child abuse. It, this is as much a media scandal, in my opinion, as it is a medical one, because of how they have just completely governed the thinking of the public. I think it's one of the reasons that the public, you know, trust in in mass media is so low, because they've tried to make us believe that men can be women. I mean, they're just—it's in such an insult. I mean, it's but so but indie filmmakers like Taylor Reese of Dead Name and others like jennifer law center for bioethics and culture with the detransition diaries and there's i think at least seven more films on this subject at least that i've seen um they are creatively getting the truth out there profiling people who have actually survived this horror and lived to tell about it and what this is really all about and analyzing this um with with truthfulness it's really um it's, it's such a worthwhile worthy you know project and endeavor that they've taken on and if people want to see dead name just for example I would urge them to go to deadnamedocumentary.com and you'll get a taste of the parental anguish of what this is really like uh, this is no you know concocted narrative that's packaged like you know jazz jennings on TLC where they talk about how wonderful this is you'll see the unvarnished ugly truth of what this does to families when a child goes on a medical pathway where they Ah, uh, very likely wind up sterile, and their bodies are disfigured, and the horror that that inflicts on on a family. Uh, I think that's going to be honestly. now we're we're dealing with the state legislation now, which is like the legal ramifications of you know, you know legislative bodies pushing back against this medicalization or in California's case. they're trying to increase it. Uh, but the next phase, I think, in the next couple of years, is we're going to be seeing not only the detransitioners emerge with horrific tales of medical harm, but also how this shattered families. We're going to have a, a reckoning to deal with how many relationships were splintered, how many marriages uh, wound up in divorce because of this, how many, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, you know, nieces, nephews were pitted against each other because of how this ideology uh, infected so many families this is tearing relationships apart left and right and it's not going to be pretty uh, i can just tell you that it's um but but the media has not cared once you read the christian post the media has not cared to give families like that a voice um they all pretend that this is just this wonderful thing that they learned to accept uh and nothing can be further from the truth this is causing
0: devastating harm dead name was a really awful film to watch um like i watched it to review it and it was just Devastating to w- to see what yeah. was going on there. Um, I, I feel like there's actually space for for a really ballsy platform to basically, you know, um, actually put forward what, what will be like sort of the Uncle Tom's Cabin of of transgender medicine, right? And and I feel like, you know, what is a woman? Um, is de- was definitely an, a cultural event in addition to being a documentary mm-hmm. in a way that most documentaries aren't. Mm-hmm. I th- I do think that you're going to have to, it's going to take some some executives who are willing to allow this to go mainstream. You know, like the New York yeah. Times will publish a piece on like osteoporosis as a result yeah. of hormone blockers. And that kind of gives everybody the permission to admit mm-hmm. that this is a thing now, right? Like, oh, the New York right. Times is looking at the impact of, of cross-sex hormones and hormone blockers. Now that's like, they're the ones who kind of say at the, per- the boundaries of permissible debate. And so, despite how, like, What is a Woman it was a phenomenal, phenomenal documentary, Dead Name, I thought, was just gut-wrenching and effective. I thought the DeTransition Diaries did a really good job as well. Um didn't see Tucker's Tucker's documentary, but I presume he did a decent job with that too. Um Very good. But you what you do need is you need HBO or you know what you need one of these groups to to make the space for the BBC, I think is probably going to be the first one to do it because they just came out with a documentary that just sort of covered the the speech implications of the debate, right? And it, and you know two of the three people featured were lesbians right like julie bindle and kathleen stock from oxford um but the fact that they did that documentary and then they weathered the backlash and ignored all of it to me indicates that they might be willing to actually do a, a follow-up documentary uh, and, and despite how much i hate the bbc in so many ways i will say that for the state-funded media they're the only ones who have been willing to be at all honest about aspects of the trans agenda right they, they have actually covered you know um you know rapists in female prisons who are identifying as female even though i think they use the wrong pronouns and things like that so maybe it'll be the bbc what do you who do you think will break first or what kind of documentary do you think might come out and kind of um become a a become the uh the top of the iceberg i think what is a woman and all these other documentaries are kind of like the the submerged part of the iceberg but you're going to need the documentary that gets all the credit for a lot of the groundwork done by by these other filmmakers and journalists like yourself That's an interesting question, and I think, uh, to your point about the BBC, I think
1: it was BBC Newsnight, actually, a year, a couple years ago, that actually did scrutinize what was going on inside the Tavistock Clinic that I believe was a contributing factor that led to its, you know, being ordered to close. Um, I'll tell you, I think Dead Name, the film that we've been talking about that I'm in, I know you've seen, I love your phrase, sort of, you say, Uncle Tom's Cabin of transgender medicalization. I think if that film can be showcased, that's the one to do it. I appreciate various aspects of What Is a Woman by Matt Walsh and Tucker Carlson's film. The Detransition Diaries is also very good, uh, and the others have have really you know unique angles on this. But what's special about Dead Name, um, for those who've gotten to see it, and it is just a matter of getting it into the hands of the right people. It is it's haunting. It, it stay it stays with you. Uh, you you don't forget about these families. It's kind of uh, people that have seen this movie, um, and again, people can go see it at deadnamedocumentary.com. Is that it? It just kind of invites you into the story, and it, it really gives you a taste of the anguish of what this is really like for families. I think family pain is where our deepest pain is. When when there's when stuff goes wrong in your family, it's the kind of stuff that stays with you for a while. And that's where I think the, the real potential for persuasion exists, uh, where you can just, okay, no, let me invite you into something here, not just with outrage and horror of what all those things are doing. And it's not that that has no use either. Sometimes you just need to display the medical atrocities and show them for what they are and not sugarcoat that. I get that. Um, but people have said they Watch Dead name that they couldn't stop thinking about it after they saw it because it's not a feel-good film, uh, but it's a necessary film to see because you it just it stays with you. And so if that can get into the right hands and be seen by a lot of people, I think it holds the key. Uh, to your point about the New York Times, uh, if if they would write an article about how blockers cause bone density loss or lead to osteoporosis, and by the way, that's actually true that is a side effect of of puberty blockers uh, th- they have done that 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 could turn the, the page too they would give people a permission structure to say okay it's it's socially acceptable for us to to object to this now if we want to they kind of sort of did that with the gender identity um labels that are going on in the schools where parents are kept in the dark about it and left wing parents you know even the type that you know read the new york times are not keen on that they want to be informed of what's going on with their children at school i remember an article that the new york times wrote about that very thing and i i just had to crack up laughing because one of the left-wing dads who was interviewed for the piece was like i can't believe it's something to the effect of like i can't believe i'm watching tucker carlson and agreeing with him it's like blah 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 (laughs) that's just like i have heard that on the phone From left-wing parents who call me, it was like, I can't stand Tucker Carlson, but I'm watching his show because he gives me a little bit of hope that maybe my daughter's going to find her way out of this medical horror that she's in right now. Um, That was when Tucker Carlson was still on Fox, obviously. But left-wing parents in blue states are watching what's going on in red states with great interest because of the legislative action, but they're watching conservative media because when it comes down to it and you realize that your child might be sterile in a few years because they're on these drugs or that they've undergone a surgery and were approved with it, approved to get it, just with you know insane amount of speed, just one appointment and they get a referral letter, they can go get their breasts cut off. Like that. that's actually happening. <laughs> like when parents realize that they will go to any place they can find to get some sort of help or truth. Um, But I agree that I think a cultural uh, turning point, if if people could be haunted (laughs) by the searing agony of what this is like for parents who love their children more than their own lives, they should watch Dead Name because that'll show the intense commitment and love that these parents have for their children Uh, I think it's a very primal human thing. If that could be seen by a wide audience, I think that could honestly turn the tide. That holds the key because it taps into something so important about the human experience. At the end of the day, uh, parents just want to keep their kids safe. And when that comes under threat in such pernicious way as it is now with this trans medicalization, um, there's a broad swath of people who are going to be on the same page. but again, the challenge is getting that in front of them and the fight we have to fight is making sure that we can get a platform so that people can see it. Otherwise, they people just live in their bubbles and they'll never know. Um, but Dead Name continues to gain traction. It's, it's come out right before Christmas and we're still... I speak with a filmmaker pretty regularly and it continues to gain traction. It's a film that's evergreen. It's not tied to any sort of current events, so I expect it to be... Uh, contributing to public discourse for the rest of this year and even into next year, because the paint it could have been produced two years ago and it could have, I mean, it is as relevant today as it was two years ago and will be again next year. So uh, go to deadnamedocumentary.com and give it a watch.
0: Final question, Brandon, remind our listeners where they can see all of your phenomenal work on this subject. Well,
1: Christianpost.com is where we host all of our print reporting. Obviously, I am doing some columns these days. I wear many different hats uh, now at CP, uh, but I would also point people to our documentary-style investigative podcast series on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's called Generation Indoctrination Inside the Transgender Battle. Two seasons are complete now. The second season was mostly an audio book of... An ebook that I co-authored with Jeff Myers called "Exposing the Gender Lie," which that's a free download, and that's at uh, christianpost.com/ebook/gender-lie. slash hyphen You can get that for free. Of course, go to deadnamedocumentary.com to see that film. But Christian Post, we're staying on top of it. We are going to continue to tell the truth about this issue and, of course, other issues uh, to the very end, even if we stand alone. We will not budge from Genesis one twenty seven that we're made male and female in God's image. And if ever there was truth that needs to be boldly declared, it's that one today. And so uh, the Christian Post will continue to report on that. And check us out at ChristianPost.com.
0: Brandon, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. Good to join you here today.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Brandon Schauwalter, an investigative journalist at The Christian Post. Thanks for joining us this week. Head over to lifesightnews.com and click on the podcast tab if you'd like to check out past uh, shows that feature conversations just like this one, or if you'd like to subscribe and listen to future shows. Thanks once again so much for, for listening.